What's going on folks, Arm and Hammer here and today we're gonna to be talking about the Dubai CrossFit Championships, the most recent of our sanctional events, the last one of the 2019 calendar year and one of the biggest ones of the year. We're gonna be looking at the competition, what we saw and learned about various athletes and then sort of like a general overview of how the programming worked, how the broadcast went, you know, just generally how the DCC did. So let's get to it. So let's go ahead and kick this off by looking at the men's side of competition. Now, there are some interesting stories here, and we're going to talk about a few of them, but we're going to start off by who's going to get the invite to the CrossFit Games, because Fikowski won the Dubai CrossFit Championships. He had had a very disappointing 2019 CrossFit Games getting cut relatively early in the weekend, which is not really you know characteristic of the Fikowski that we all know and love. He usually competes very, very hard and, and is fighting for a podium spot all weekend long, and for him to get cut on Friday night is really just not part of the plan and not really part of anybody's expectations. So I can imagine that him winning DCC is a good feeling. It kind of puts a button on that experience at the CrossFit Games and also sets him up for a really successful 2020 season. However, he's actually kind of within a striking spot of the open qualifications because the way the open qualifications work is it's national champions or top 20 worldwide. And if you are both, if you're in the top 20 worldwide and a national champion, that number drops down. So instead of being the 20th, it goes to the 21st, 22nd, 23rd, it goes all the way down. So all the national champions in the top 20 of the worldwide don't count for the top 20 worldwide, if that makes any sense. So Fakowski is just a few spots out of that qualifying line. And if a handful of athletes within that qualifying line decide to go team, then he would be given an invite through the open. And there's a really good chance that that happens because there are right now three athletes above the line who are actually planning on going team, or at least seem to be planning going team. For sure, Rich Froning is on that list. For sure, Roy Gamboa is on that list. And Brandon Luckett just qualified through the odd squat team in Southfit in Argentina. So that's three right there. That gives Fakowski a spot through the open. And really those dominoes are, are gonna fall early next year because of how the invite system works through the open. But if that were the case, the invite would go all the way down to ninth place to Tolomore Aquino, who has competed on teams in the past. He's a very fit athlete. Um, he's a really interesting athlete, very, very good at both uh, strong gymnastic stuff and heavy, heavy weightlifting. So he has this really cool sort of um, both ends of the extreme, both like the small guy ninja stuff and also sort of like the heavy crusher stuff he's got handled. And that I think is a really interesting storyline going forward. We're not gonna know the result of that storyline probably until mid-January is my guess because the invites for the Open do not get sent out and finalized until the first week of January 2020. Now, the second really interesting story to talk about on the men's side is Lefteris Teofanidis. Now, we spoke a little bit about him during the Open and I wanna make sure that us talking about him right now doesn't mean that I'm excluding other interesting stuff, very cool stuff that happened during the weekend. So I specifically want to say like Roman Krennikov's performance, very, very cool to see. Pat Vellner looking like classic Uncle Pat and showing up and putting up a podium performance at Dubai, also very, very cool to see. But we would be remiss if we did not talk about Lefteris Teofanidis because here's the deal. This guy took third worldwide in the open, which is very, very difficult to do. And then he took 25th at the Dubai CrossFit Championships, essentially being 
destroyed by the same people that he destroyed in the open. Now, the generous reading of this is that he's very, very good on online competitions and not very good when it comes to in-person competitions. And we spoke a little bit about him during the open because I felt like his measurements during the deadlift and handstand push-up, handstand walk workout were questionable at best and absolutely inadmissible at worst. He got away with a minor penalty on that workout, which I think was basically a slap on the wrist. But that said, he has a history of doing really well online and not doing well in person, which is, it's common. That sort of thing occurs pretty regularly. Some people just don't do well with the pressure of in-person competition. They don't know how to control their pace in those situations. Some people just do exceptionally well when they're in their own environment. They can repeat the workouts over and over again. And we've seen this as a historical precedent that he has set in his own competitive career. I mean, he's placed very, very high in the open, like top 200 in the open pretty consistently. And when regionals was a thing, he never broke into the top 20 at regionals. Last year at the games, he didn't make it past the second cut. This year at the DCC, he placed 25th after taking third worldwide in the open. And at the very least, this needs to be some questions that should be asked potentially answered in some way, shape, or form. I don't know what's going on here. The best case scenario of this is that he's really, really good online when no one is sort of like, you know, around him and pushing him and sort of stressing him out with the competition uh, that exists and he's in his own space. And he's not very good in person when he's kind of like, being pushed around by someone else's pacing or seeing how fit his competitors are in person. The worst case scenario is that he's legit just like cheating his way through the open. And we don't know the answer to any of those things other than knowing what his performances look like online versus in person. Now, how do you answer that question? I don't know. I actually don't know how you answer that question. Um, Look, look at Roman Kranikov, for example. I spoke about Roman a little bit in the last video that I did about the DCC, and I really like Roman for a few different reasons. One is that he leaves no doubt about his legitimacy. He shows up to lots of in-person competitions. His performances are consistent across the board from the open to in-person. He's, he's regularly winning and placing in the podium uh, against games-level athletes, games-level athletes that he competes with both online and in-person. And he is regularly tested at these competitions to make sure that there isn't any, any shenanigans going on on that side of things. And if you look at the other comparison here, Lefteris Tifanidis is basically crushing the open when there is no accountability and showing up in person and getting destroyed by everyone that he is beating when it's an online competition. So I don't really know what is going on here, but I will tell you from personal experience and the fact that I'm a human being with a brain and eyes that cheating in the open is not uncommon. Cheating on any online competition is not uncommon. The last time I was a decent CrossFitter, I competed at the uh, 2012 OC Throwdown. There's actually the the uh, the dude right there in silver doing that that front rack 
That is the trophy that I got from winning that competition. I won the intermediate division of that competition. And this is a quick aside, but I really want to tell this because this was 2012. Online competitions were basically invented with the Open in 2011. So very early on on any sort of online competition, I was competing at this event. You had to qualify for the event. You had to do an online qualifier in uh, in late 2011 to get into this event. And the way that they strided where you landed in your divisions is they took like the top 50 into the uh, elite division. Then they took the next 50 into the intermediate division. And I qualified like 95th. So I, I barely made it into the intermediate division. And it turned out that weekend, a lot of the workouts were the same between the elite division and the intermediate division. And I was beating people in person who had destroyed me on the online qualifier leading up to that event. People who were in like the top 10 on the online qualifier and were in the elite division were not finishing the workouts that I was winning in the intermediate division, even though the weights were the same, the movements were the same, and everything was the same. So cheating in online competitions is not just uncommon, it's kind of common practice. It's like part of the game. And we see athletes who do that sort of thing generally get exposed in some way, shape, or form. And I think when you look at the sort of breadth of the, the history of competition here, we at least have to ask what is going on with Lefteris Tiafanidis. So now let's put that joke aside and let's talk about the women's competition because we saw uh, Sarah Sigmund's daughter show up and really just put on a dominant performance over the course of a, a long and grueling competition. And she's won three sanctioned events so far in her career. She won the Open this year. She's you know coming off of a disappointing 2019 CrossFit Games, but she's been very different this season, it seems. I spoke with her after the Filthy 150 and she seemed really happy and excited and free and sort of, you know, the, the Sarah that is like goofy and out there and really interested in pizza and donuts and ice cream and really just wants to work out and lift heavy weights. And I think that's like a, a more sort of true to Sarah type of mentality. I'm curious to see how that plays out throughout the rest of the season. I'd like to see her compete a couple more times, like maybe some bigger competition. I think she said she was gonna be at Rogue, so I'm curious to see how exactly how that goes. Um, but with that said, Sarah isn't the only interesting story because Sam Briggs, the ageless wonder that she is, earned the invite to the CrossFit Games with really a, a, a studly performance. I mean, Sam hurt her foot during the Open and was able to still show up, win the events that she needed to win, knock some home runs when she needed to knock out some home runs, and sort of make sure that the floor of her performance was high enough on the events that she had to do damage control on. So just kudos to Sam Briggs for being able to put that together. But there are also two other athletes on the women's side that we need to talk about. It's Jamie Green and Corinne Frey. Now, Jamie Green podiumed at the games last year and yet she still, for some reason, is kind of like a sleeper. I think people just don't really know a lot about her. She doesn't have a ton of content out on her. She is uh, located in the UAE, so she's at CrossFit Yaz in Dubai. Um, she's a Kiwi. So she has like sort of 
changed uh, regions a little bit, but she's won the Open before. She's competed individually a bunch of times. She podiumed at the 2019 CrossFit Games, and she just did exceptionally well at DCC this year, an event that she has won in the past. Overall, we're talking about a true beast when it comes to this whole competitive fitness thing. And it's a shame that people sort of like sleep on her performances, but I think that this is now, if this doesn't do it, if this doesn't put her on your radar, it's our fault for not having her on our radar. You know what I mean? She's already done enough to prove herself. And this is just the icing on the cake that already has like several layers to it and also a big flashing neon sign that points to it and says, hey guys, I'm the real deal, but in a Kiwi accent, which I'm not gonna do right now. And the other woman that's worth talking about here is Corinne Frey, the Slovakian national champion. She took 21st at the CrossFit Games last year. She's basically been the Slovakian national champion every year for the past like six years. She was seventh at regionals in 2018, just barely missing out of a qualifying spot in a very, very tough region. And she's just been sort of slowly working her way up and proving herself at competition after competition after competition. And we now have an opportunity to get a spotlight on her early on in a 2020 season where I think she's poised to make a breakout performance. I mean, taking 21st at your very first CrossFit Games, a CrossFit Games, by the way, that was, that was stupendously vicious. It was very difficult for the veterans to deal with emotionally and physically and psychologically. It was very difficult for the rookies to deal with. And yet here we are with a rookie athlete showing up to the CrossFit Games for the first time in 2019 and taking 21st. So with even more competitions under her belt against the best of the best in the world, I think Corinne Frey is basically poised to have a really, really good season. And hopefully we can keep an eye on her throughout that because she's really exciting to watch and she is quite, quite good at this fitness thing. On the team side, the entire weekend belonged to Misfit. We're talking about four athletes who've had a lot of experience at the games. The men's side of the team had had a ton of uh, both team and individual experience with Travis Williams and Roy Gamboa. The women's side of the team have been to the games multiple times with OC3 Black, that's Taylor Williamson and Andrea Nissler. These are four athletes that came here for business and they really showed Dubai what it's all about. I mean, they took basically first or second in every single workout. They dominated the workouts they were beating everyone else in. They were really, really close to finishing first place in the workouts that they didn't take first place in. It really was an, a, a powerhouse performance. And this early on in the season, without them necessarily training with one another regularly to be uh, on good sort of terms and on a good sort of vibe with one another is really, really cool to see because Honestly, we saw the super team thing happen last year, and if anything, Mayhem was more dominant than they've ever been in the past. So with 27 teams qualifying for the games this year through the sanctionals, hopefully one of them is going to at least push Rich and his team, and his team is only getting better. I mean, this year they added Scott Panchik, so now it's Rich Froning, Scott Panchik, China Cho, Teja Perseves. Those are four monster individual CrossFit Games athletes coming together and training with Rich as the team captain. So yeah, that's gonna be a tough team to beat considering the momentum they've had for the past, I don't know, 10 years individually and now coming together 
to do the team thing again and having just destroyed the field in the 2019 CrossFit Games, it's going to take a team like Misfit, a team of experienced, smart, good, strong, fit competitors coming together, training together regularly, shoring up all their weaknesses and knocking a home run basically every single event in order to dethrone mayhem. And this is a team that, you know, has that potential. I mean, you've got a bunch of superstars, you've got a bunch of very fit people coming together who clearly can communicate with one another. I didn't see a single communication breakdown, even with the worm, which is usually really tough, even though you've had experience with it. If you don't have experience with those four people on the worm, it can be kind of dicey. They didn't have any of that. They were just really, really solid performances, great execution across the board. And that is at least hope that there might be a competitive team competition at the games this year. Now let's go ahead and switch gears and talk about the event as a whole. Now, first off, we're gonna talk about the programming. The programming at DCC this year, I thought was very good. The team programming was done by Rich Froning and it was a night and day difference to what it was in 2018, the last DCC that we saw. And the reasoning behind that is because it felt like the last DCC, their team programming was kind of thrown together at the last minute because no one really knew what the team situation was gonna be like. No one really knew how they were gonna qualify for the CrossFit Games. And the rule book came out and it was like, surprise, you're gonna be qualifying people for the CrossFit Games as a team, figure it out. And the programming they put together was like a crazy twist on any team program we've seen in the past to the point where you had teams sort of elect a champion to do individual workouts and winning the workout would win it for your team. It was just one person doing one workout and there wasn't a lot of teamwork involved. And there was a few different sort of like synchro stuff last year, but this year with Rich Froning, a guy who understands the team competition inside and out programming, we saw a brutal shift towards efficient teamwork and fitness. And I think that's a really positive thing with one exception. There was one event that I thought was not really that good. And I actually, I, my gut tells me that it must have been changed at the last second. And it was the event that was a relay of dumbbell squat snatches. And I don't have any issue with the event. It, it was it was 30 dumbbell squat snatches per person per team. So you, you have the first person do your 30 dumbbell squat snatches and they tag the next person who comes in and does 30, tag the next person until all four people have done 30 dumbbell squat snatches per person, right? It's a very fast relay and it was super quick. However, the time cap that was allotted was way too long. It was like three or four times too long. I think they gave like a 16 minute time cap to an event that was very, very quick, like way, way faster than that. And so my gut tells me that maybe it was a little different to begin with, or they had changed some things at the last second, but overall, outside of that one little blip, which is kind of like an anomaly, I don't know exactly what was going on there, I thought that the programming on the team side was really, really good. The individual programming was also quite interesting for a few different reasons. Now, if you take like a step back and look at the Dubai CrossFit Championships, they've always been something closer to the games than they were to something like regionals. And back when it was just regionals in the games and Dubai was taking place in December, it was like the off season or the preseason for a lot of people. It was kind of like, well, we're just gonna be the, the winter games. We're gonna be a five day competition. You're gonna do you know 15 or 16 scored events. We're gonna test everything from swimming to running to biking to like strange odd object stuff to fitness. And it really has always had its own very 
particular flavor of programming. And I kind of like that about DCC. And when the sanctional situation was announced and the Dubai CrossFit Championships became the very first sanctioned event, the question was rightfully asked was, how are they going to, or are they even going to adjust their programming to suit where they're at in the season right now? And I think they've made a conscious decision to tone it down just a little bit. So instead of being like a five-day competition, it's a four-day competition, which is still longer than most sanctioned events. They're still doing more events than most sanctioned events, and they're still programming slightly tougher, more on the game side of things than most sanctioned events. And I think that's really cool to see because some sanctioned events are like two days long, some of them are three days long. Dubai, if, as far as I know, is the only one that's four days long. Dubai is kind of leaning more towards the, we're gonna attract the best of the best, we're gonna test them very close to what they might see at the CrossFit Games, we're gonna pay them a lot of money, and you guys are gonna get a good show out of it. And I think their programming this year really leans into that the same way that it had in the past, but they really did a good job of rounding it out with the team side when they brought in Rich. With the individual programming, I loved seeing the fact that they kind of had this, this like, individualistic way of testing things. The first half of the weekend was very much, we're testing this with this event. It was really clear, like the, the swim and sandbag workout was like, can you do a workout that involves swimming? If you've got swimming, this one's gonna work out well for you. The one rep max event was, can you one rep max? The running and bike event was, do you have capacity to keep your bike splits relatively high while also running fast. So these were events that were basically programmed with like singular modalities that they were testing. Then the later half of the weekend, they brought in all these like really wild chippers and couplets and triplets that started testing much more of like the fitness thing. And so when you put it all together, I think it does a really good job of like looking at the whole of fitness when it comes to testing. And one of the things that I, I really enjoyed seeing was they had this really wild workout where they included like old DCC specific movements, movements that you basically never see in any other competition. And it was like, it was like deck squats with a, with a kettlebell. It was reverse grip chest to bar pull-ups. So like, you know, chin up chest to bar pull-ups. It was A squats onto the ballistic blocks with dumbbells. It was this really wacky look of like, oh, I can, I can relate to this. This is the type of thing that we might do in the gym. We might do a workout that has these sort of slight variations of movements. And yet here are athletes doing like butterfly chin-ups chest to bar really really crazy stuff and they ended with devil's press which you know i think none of the athletes really enjoyed doing bar maybe like jamie green and sam briggs who are just like devil's press what's the issue here these are super easy i love doing these but it was just a really interesting type of event and my first reaction when i saw it was all right you're getting a little cute things are changing around i know that the athletes are how do i say this kindly they like to know exactly what's going on every single time. They want, to, they want to be familiar with movements. They don't necessarily like seeing new variations of movements. And this is the second time we've seen a, a big event sort of change a variation of movement. Filthy 150 added in a bunch of different things that were sort of, hey, you know what this looks like, but this is like the cousin of a movement that you've done before, like the double rope climbs or the sandbag over the shoulder for distance. And Dubai did that with one event, just this one event. And 
I, I like the fact that events are taking a little bit more freedom, a little bit more change. It gets stale watching people do the same movements over and over and over again in the same comp competitions, in the same combinations, and seeing little changes, little variations, it adds like a really specific flavor to these events, and, and I really enjoyed that. So I would give the programming overall at Dubai like a solid A. Like I just felt it was really well done, well executed. They made a couple of changes on the fly as they needed to. I think one of the changes on the team programming was they had an event that had squat cleans in it and you know, Rich called an audible and he was like, hey, by the way, um, we've ruined their legs a lot. Maybe we should let them do power cleans if they want to. And the organizers were like, cool, no problem. We'll let them do power cleans. So there was definitely this vibe of like, okay, we know where we fit within the season. We know how we want to test these athletes. We know where we want to position ourselves in relation to other sanctionals in the games. And here's exactly how we're going to execute it. And I think they kind of knocked that out of the park. Now, the actual event sort of experience for us as spectators, that can either be the broadcast or the in-person experience. I can't really speak to the in-person experience because I've never been to Dubai. I've never been to their competition. Um, it's just too far away, too expensive. It's really difficult to get there. Based off of what I could see on the broadcast, it didn't look like it was like packing out the stands. My understanding is that they generally sell out the tennis stadium. It's hard to tell exactly what that looks like in terms of ticket numbers. It's hard to tell exactly what that looks like for attendance, but it didn't look like, you know, Filthy 150 or uh, you know Iceland Reykjavik CrossFit Championships last year, where there was four or five thousand people in the stands, you know, crowded out there on a Saturday night. I mean, they have the tennis stadium at Dubai. It's a very very cool location. It's it's just really hard to tell what type of a draw it has for the people there. And I'm not 100% convinced that that really matters because it seems like Dubai is designed to be experienced as like an online thing. It's designed to be experienced by fans all around the world as like this really exciting show. And when it comes to that side of it, I felt like the broadcast was a little lacking. Now, in terms of showing us what was happening, yeah, they were basically there. I mean, that type of coverage, I would probably give them like a B. There's a few things that I would have liked to see differently. I mean, there's sometimes during like the, the Wonder Max Clean and Jerk event, I just felt like we were missing a lot of the action because there was a really wide angle that we were being shown. What it felt like was there was miscommunication from the production side to the logistical side that maybe like one side or another just wasn't a hundred percent prepared or ready or uh, you know just just uh, able to make the execution of showing the event well occur and i'm not again i don't know what I don't know who it was that was doing the broadcast. I don't know who was involved with any of it. Uh, I know that you know we had some familiar faces doing the commentary and Chase Inger and Bill Grundler. They did exactly what they've done in the past. They really knocked it out of the park. They provided their, their own sort of flavor to the commentary across all four days of competition. But at the same time, the broadcast left a little bit to be desired. Now, it improved over the course of the weekend. So it's definitely something changed probably around day two or day three and the, the broadcast improved. And I think perhaps maybe 
it has to do with what the first couple days of competition looked like. I mean, the first day of competition was all outdoor stuff. It was like a swimming thing and it was like the bike and run thing on the track. And then the, the second day of competition was just the clean and jerks. But the third and fourth day of competition was basically all in the tennis stadium. So once they kind of got into this more controlled, restrained environment where they knew exactly what the field of play was gonna look like, it improved dramatically. But you kind of have to be able to deliver both ends of it. And I understand how difficult it, it is to do outdoor events. I mean, I was there for Filthy 150 to see exactly how challenging it was for them to put together the rope climb event. I mean, it was really tough for us to tell who was in what lane and what athletes were doing what. And I know that we tried very, very hard to try and figure out exactly who was going on so we could call it well. Same thing with the uh, bike and run event that they ran. It was really, really challenging for us to know where people were when they were out on the courses. And I know that that's a big issue at every event that does something outdoors. So I'm not gonna hold that against them. However, it was really sort of the, the, the dips in the quality when it came to like showing us the important action throughout the event that improved over the course of the event, but really early on that I wish they'd done better at. Now, the other side of that also is that they were kind of missing on-screen information, information that would help the viewer understand better exactly what's happening. Uh, lane assignments, uh, the workouts, I mean, those started showing up later on in the weekend, but weren't showing up early in the weekend. The lane assignments, as far as I know, never showed up based off of what I was watching. Um, the timers were always kind of tough to see. Sometimes it would kind of cut back and you'd see uh, the timers would be washed out because it was white on, a, on like a, a white overexposed background. So those types of things were a little bit tougher. I mean, there were no rep counters, but rep counters are really, really tough. I don't hold that against any event that they don't have rep counters because rep counters essentially doubles the number of volunteers that you have to have at an event. You have to have literally a person per athlete per event with their own little like computer, laptop, or phone or something so they could keep track of your rep counting. It's just logistically very, very challenging. But overall, I felt like the broadcast was like solid, could be a lot better, would have hoped it was a little bit better, especially going on in the future, because this event is, like I said, something that is kind of meant to be experienced online. It's, it's most people, like nearly everybody is going to be watching this event and they're gonna be watching it via the broadcast. And I, I would hope that with the sort of prestige that the Dubai CrossFit Championships already has, that they can make their broadcast even better going into the future. So there you have it folks. Overall, the DCC, in my opinion, was really solid. They had some flaws, they had some mistakes, they had some things that they can improve on, but so does every other event. And the fact of the matter is, there's only a handful of events that are like super top tier when it comes to the sanctional season. Dubai has always been one of those events outside of the regionals and games season that were like really, really well known, very prestigious. And it still is just that. I mean, they have a huge prize purse, probably the biggest one outside of the CrossFit games. Maybe Rogue comes close to tying it, but they pay every single athlete that shows up, which is awesome and they also offer prizes for every event individually sometimes bumping it up to like you know triple or, or quadruple what it is per event depending on what the event is they had some events that are worth 10 grand for the first place finishers that was really cool to put a different race on it you know we've seen a lot of things like that 
show up where they support the athletes in a really meaningful way. If you qualify and make it to Dubai, you're getting paid. And that's something that I think a lot of other events can learn from. And overall, DCC just continues to cement its spot as like one of the most prestigious and best events to compete at for the athletes. Now, as far as the spectators go, like I said, the broadcast may be left a little bit to be desired, but I watched the broadcast from 3 a.m. to noon or whatever it was every single night and I didn't really have that big of a problem following along with what was going on. I felt like the commentary was on point and while I didn't see some of the action that I wanted to see, I heard what was going on and the leaderboard could kind of tell me the story of what was happening outside of that. So there were, you know, there are places for them to improve, but this is one of the watermarks that athletes are expecting when it comes to how events are put on and spectators are expecting and how to consume these things. So if we even see like 60 or 70% of the sanctioned events of the season able to put on a show and coverage that's close to what Dubai was, I think that's a pretty solid thing. Now, if we were to compare something like Dubai to Filthy 150, I think one place where Dubai needs to sort of up their game is on their social media coverage because a lot of people pay attention to the broadcast, but even more people are paying attention to things like Instagram and Facebook. And I would just wish that they had done a slightly better job, maybe something more similar to what we saw at Filthy 150 in terms of how they covered their event on social media with photos and highlights and videos and announcements. I felt like that was a little bit lacking, but I wasn't really paying attention to their social media to see what they were doing to begin with. Like that wasn't why I would be on their social media. I was just looking to see if there were any cool pictures or videos. I just felt like they weren't really telling the story of the weekend as best they could on a format and a platform that's kind of built for doing that. But either way, Overall, DCC is a solid event. They have continued to put themselves in position to be one of the top tier events over the season for both athletes and spectators. And if this is any indication of their improvement from last year to this year, my expectation going into the next DCC at the end of 2020 is you know, even higher. I really like the types of events they put on. Their programming is just getting better and better. They're, they're you know, putting their own spin on things more and more. And I think they're just doing a, a really solid job of making sure that they execute the things they need to execute on. And where they're lacking is, is relatively simple stuff to fix. And over time, with all the sanctionals sort of having their own iterations of things, you can learn from each one and see where one fails and where one succeeds and what they're doing to, do, to sort of separate themselves. It, these event organizers are smart enough to learn from where those where those issues were and where they can improve. Remember folks, there's a whole lot going on in our sport. It's easy to miss some of the most interesting and exciting stories. That is what I am here for. I hope you guys enjoyed this. And if you've stuck around this long, I just wanted to let you know that the Discord channel that I started has like over a hundred people in it. I, I'm, I'm flabbergasted. That's a word. It's I'm flabbergasted at the fact that we have that many people showing up. We're talking about a whole bunch of different things from fitness and training and workouts to the sanctional season and how things are going and where things should progress to, you know, whether the new Star Wars movie is going to be any good. Lots of different topics of discussion. So hopefully you guys want to jump in on that. And if you do, just find the link in the description of this video to jump into that Discord server. It is a lot of fun. I get a chance to sort of like interact with people a little bit more frequently than I can on videos like this or over social media. 
I'm a big fan of being able to do that. I think that communication line is super important and very, very cool to be a part of. And you get to talk to with other people who are just like big fans of this whole fitness thing and you know other stuff like TVs and movies and stuff. So either way, hope you guys liked it. I'll see you guys next time.